friends, my name is Jody Swee, and I am a relationship coach and pastor living in Los Angeles with my family as we seek to find the joy in the journey. I've been studying the Bible for over 20 years and I freaking love it. Now I'm sharing it with you in the hopes that you will discover that you do too. God is inviting you to see things differently, to discover what it means to know your worth and be satisfied. He is inviting you to a life where the desire to grow is not based on what you lack, but an overflowing of what you already have, his unwavering love and his plans for your future. I call it God's invitation to joy. We're on a little journey of discovery as we wonder together what that means as we break down Luke 2, 10 through 12. Everything we need to know about God's invitation to us can be found within those two little lines. In the previous two episodes, we kind of just set the table by seeking to understand the context of those verses, because God's an intentional dude, and we can learn as much about who God is and what he's about from the context, meaning where, when, and to whom, as we can from what is actually being said. The location of Jesus's birth, the place where he grew up, who his parents were, and who God chose to announce his birth to all point to a God who wants to make sure we know that he sees us and loves us and has a plan for our lives. That he sees and loves you and has a plan for your life. Well, in this episode, we're going to start to dig into the words the angels used because the phrases of the announcement themselves are packed with meaning. And today we're going to look at the good news. What is the good news that the angels were talking about? Well, to discover the answer, we're actually going to flip over to John 2. The, the book of John and the book of Luke, which is where the angel's announcement is found, are part of a four-book series in the Bible called the Gospels. All four of these books, which include Matthew and Mark, as well as Luke and John, tell the same story of Jesus' life and death from four different perspectives. They're so fun to read and layer over each other because you get slightly different details in each one, which creates a more full picture of Jesus. For example, in the second chapter of Luke, we're just at the beginning of Jesus' story. He's being born. But in John 2, Jesus is already an adult and at the beginning of his public ministry. Fun fact, very little is written in any of the four Gospels about Jesus' life until he was 30. And as we learned from our previous two episodes, God is very intentional in every aspect of his revelations. And there are some really fun clues in the Bible about why Jesus was 30 when it all started, but that's a podcast for a different day. For our purposes in pursuit of understanding what the good news is, we just need to know that John 2, we're starting with Jesus as an adult, and this was at the beginning of his ministry. And he was about to start kicking butt and taking names. Just kidding. Sort of. Let's go to John 2, 13 through 14. It says this. When it was almost time for Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. I don't know if you're like me, but the first time I read that, I had no idea what most of it meant. So I did a little research. And here's what I learned. First of all, Passover was a big religious holiday for Jewish people. It still is. It's when they commemorate their liberation from being slaves in Egypt. 
In Jesus' time, the place to be on Passover was the temple in Jerusalem. This wasn't just any temple. This temple was considered God's house. It belonged to him. And it was a place where people went to encounter God, to seek forgiveness for their sins, and to ask him for help. Not only did this temple belong to God, but his actual presence resided within the temple. Let me explain. I'll give you a little visual picture of what that looks like. I want you to picture three rectangles that fit inside each other in your mind. Okay? There's a big one on the outside, a medium-sized one in the middle, and then a very small one in the center of it all. Okay, do you have that picture in your mind? Great. So the medium-sized one is the actual temple. That's the building where the priests did their thing. The big one is the courtyard that surrounded the temple, where ordinary people could come to be near God. And the small box in the center of it all, that is called the Holy of Holies. And it was a room with a heavy curtain covering the door that held the actual presence of God. Like, if you went into that room uninvited, you dropped dead from the power and purity of God's presence. Only one priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And that priest went in there to make a sacrifice to atone for his sins and the sins of the Jewish people. Sacrifice and atonement was an integral part of the temple experience. Not only did that one priest go into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer a sacrifice for everybody, including himself, but all the regular people who came to the temple throughout the year also brought sacrifices of their own to be given in other parts of the temple. See, people came to offer God sacrifices because they wanted to be forgiven for the wrong things that they had done, and they wanted to be close to him. And they sacrificed animals, which sounds Totally weird and gross to us, but it was a very normal thing to do back then. So this gives us some of the context we need for these verses in John 2, 13 through 14. When it was almost time for Passover, we know what that means, Jesus went up to Jerusalem, to the temple. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Those men were selling cattle, sheep, and doves for God's people to use for their sacrifices. And they were exchanging money in the process because different currencies were used back then. And they were probably charging hefty fees to do so. And Jesus was not okay with any of it. The story continues in verse 15. It says that Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop treating my father's house into a market. You guys, I love that one of the first things Jesus does in his public ministry is get ticked and overturn tables. Okay, I don't actually know if he was ticked or if he was just, you know, being authoritative because he could be, but he was flipping over tables like a real housewife of Bethlehem. It's so great to see such passion. How many of us had the picture growing up of Jesus holding the little lambs? He was always just so nice and quiet. Not this Jesus, man. This Jesus was like, how dare you flipping tables over, making a whip. So great. It adds to her picture of who Jesus is, and I love it. But why did Jesus get so passionate and authoritative or ticked or whatever it was that caused him to up end tables and use the whip? Well, Jesus had come to Jerusalem, to the temple that belonged to God, 
and people were doing business, which was probably corrupt and definitely transactional. And it's not what God desired for his beloved people. And so Jesus cleaned house. I have a picture in my mind of what that looked like. Have you ever been to a mall or like a street bazaar where they there have been people like hawking their products to the passerbyers? Hey, hey lady, how about some hair extensions? Hey, you dude, you, you want a scratch-free phone cover? Or, you know, there's a whirling helicopter, but try the helicopter, it's so fun. Now imagine these people, these hawkers with their products, setting up shop in a church parking lot. People are trying to get to church so they can be with God. They come because they need help or healing, or they just want to be, or they just long to be in his presence. But to get there, they have to go through all these hacks trying to distract them from finding it. That's what was happening in the temple. And Jesus, with power and authority, cleared the way between God and his people. Now, you might be wondering, why, why is this good news? And what does it have to do with me exactly, Jody? Well, let me tell you. Did you know that in 1 Corinthians 6, it says that you and I are a holy temple? That we are the temple of God? Obviously, we are not a building made of wood and brick, but we're a body that was created for God's presence. He was supposed to be with us every day, all day long. Just like the presence of God resided in the temple and the Holy of Holies. God's presence was supposed to reside in us. You see, we were created to belong to God. That's the good news. But what does it mean to belong to God? Well, I kind of think of it like we're his greatest treasure. And the first time I tried to think about how I treat my greatest treasure, I had a hard time because I couldn't really think of anything. I'm pretty attached to my phone, but if it broke, meh, I'd just get another one. But then I thought of my daughters. They are mine. From the moment they began, I was filled with love and this fierce possessiveness for them. I would do whatever it took to give them the best life I could. If something were to happen to them, I would be devastated. I would literally give my life for theirs without a second thought because they are mine. Because they are mine, I want to make sure that they know that they are in love. I wanna make sure their needs are met and that I'm doing everything I can to help them discover who they were created to be. That's what it means for us to belong to God in an even more pure and full way. He loves us. He loves you. He's very protective of you. And he wants nothing more than to provide for you and to give you the best life you can have. We are the temple. Our bodies were created to bear his image, to have his presence reside within us. And our minds and hearts were created to house God's goodness, to be filled with love and kindness and selflessness. But just like the temple in Jerusalem, people have come in and set up shop. We've been lied to, we've been let down. And the money changers of today have us believing that we have to settle for whatever momentary gratification we can find. If you find a spouse, you'll finally be happy. If you get that job, you will be satisfied. If you just lose 10 pounds, you'll finally be content. But ask anybody who's actually found a spouse or got the job or lost the 10 pounds. It never seems to do the trick. We're always left just a little unsatisfied and looking for the next thing that will distract us for a while. And that's just the way it is. At least that's what the world says. Just keep looking for the next thing. But this is what God says. 
in Isaiah 41.1, I have summoned you by name. You are mine. God intended for you, his treasured child, to be taken care of, provided for, and to know that you are his. To know that you belong to him in much deeper ways than even our children belong to us. But the worst part is most of us don't even know it. We just think that life is just the way it is and we just have to accept it. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said they brought good news. The good news is that you belong to God. And that while many of us have forgotten that or been distracted from that, Jesus hasn't. Jesus knows you've been cheated and he came to clear the way for you and I so that we may experience life the way it was we were created to. A life where the desire to grow is not based on what we lack, but an overflowing of what we already have, which is God's unchanging, transformative love, which is accessible and closer than you could ever imagine. It is an invitation to joy, and we will continue this journey of discovery next time when we talk through the meaning of great joy. But for now, just wonder with me. What is distracting you from living in the knowledge that you belong to God, that you are his treasured child? What does Jesus need to drive out so that your path to God's presence is clear? Do not be afraid. I bring good news of great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Thank you so much for listening to Live Ida Wild with Jody Sweet. If you dig this podcast, please share it with a friend or two. And if you need someone to process with, please don't hesitate to reach out. That's what I'm here for. Until next time, my friends, may you live in the love of Jesus and allow it to grow wild within you until it overflows to others.